This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 214 with Angela Stoll. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 214. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. Angela Stoll is the co-founder and CEO of Ethan Stoll Restaurants in Seattle. In 2007, she and her husband, Chef Ethan Stoll, founded Ethan Stoll Restaurants. The couple has since opened 16 restaurants across the city. Angela manages over $25.5 million in annual revenue and oversees 320 employees. I have watched Angela repeatedly be recognized as a powerhouse in business and a consistently conscientious businesswoman. She was named one of the Puget Sound Business Journal's 2013 40 Under 40. She and Ethan were the recipients of the 2016 Richard Melman Innovator of the Year Award. And most recently, she was honored as one of the Puget Sound Business Journal's 2017 Women of Influence, a list showcasing women whose outstanding leadership has outsized influence in the community. And she was named one of 50 Most Influential Women in Seattle by Seattle Met Magazine. So she's kind of going places. Angela sits on the board of directors for the United Way of King County, where she serves as the co-chair for Reconnecting Youth and is the 2018 annual campaign co-chair. Additionally, Angela has a seat on the board of a local startup, Kigo Asian Kitchen, and is a member of the Seattle Chamber of Commerce Policy Leadership Group. She has two little boys. Adrian was born the same week as Vinny, and he's five and a half, and Frank is three. 
While Angela shines bright and strong in the Seattle business community, I know her first and foremost as a great friend and a fantastic mom. And I'm so excited to share her shameless story with you. I will let you know that this interview has been a few years, a couple of years in the making. When I launched the podcast, Angela was immediately on my list of women I wanted to interview. And I also knew that interviewing her would be really hard because I know her story deeply. I have been part of her story for a while now, and I know there's a lot of pain, but I was a little bit nervous because when you know someone pretty well, you're not quite sure if you can hold yourself together when you talk to them about the most painful parts of their life. And that's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to talk to Angela about her entrance into motherhood. We're going to talk about the tremendous loss that she suffered as she became a mom. And I knew that I would not be able to do this without crying. So just grab yourself a tissue because both of us kind of lose it at one point. (laughs) I am so honored that Angela would come on and share her story because she is such a strong, powerful, capable woman. And we see this here in Seattle as I watch as so many of us see her building business. She is doing things that most women don't even think about doing. It is not on most of our radars to consider how we might go about running a $25 million company. But she does it with confidence. She does it with determination. She shows up. She works hard. She puts in her time. She does it with grace. And she also does it very shamelessly. So I cannot wait to share her story with you. Let's dive in with Angela Stoll. Angela Stoll, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. This has been a long time coming, but I'm very excited to have you here. I know. Thank you so much. It has been a long time. I know. I think there was a time when I was like, I think I might want to have a podcast and I think I might want you to be on it like two and a half years ago. It always happens that way. I know. I know. So for our listeners, I will preface this with Angela and I's relationship and friendship started off definitely at the most tragic times in both of our lives because our husbands were really good friends. And we kind of ended up in each other's lives as a result. So I'm going to say it started in tragedy, but it ended in triumph with us having little boys born just a few days apart from each other. So from there, I'm going to have you explain your entrance into motherhood and what that looked like for your family. Yeah, well, so, you know, interestingly, I think that I can recall you coming over to our house when I was pregnant. So I got pregnant in 2011 with twins. And I think I recall you coming over sometime, maybe not terribly far into it. I mean, I was definitely a basketball looking, (laughs) but, you know, it was well enough to where things hadn't started going tragically wrong. But we ended up becoming pregnant with identical twin boys. And there is, I won't go into the medical part of it, but it's a disease called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. And it affects the placenta and it affects their ability to share blood, which identical twins do. And tragically, they were still born at about 25 and a half weeks, 26 weeks. And they were born July 20th of 2011. And I think that, you know, that intro to motherhood is, you know, something that obviously is the most horrible possible way. And, you know, it's the epitome of what do women say who have bad birth experiences? Like I had, I had a traumatic birth experience. Like yeah. it is the epitome of traumatic birth experience. But it, the interesting thing was, I was a mother to those two boys, and Nathaniel was born first, and Gabriel a few minutes later, and we got to spend time with them and hold them. And my in-laws came, and 
you know, it was this really, in some parts, completely normal birth as far as I was induced and I had the epidural and I gave birth in the middle of the night, like many women do. And I held these two babies, which many women do. And, and you knew prior to being induced, you knew that they were not alive. Yeah. So they had passed a couple of days before. And, you know, when I went into that doctor's appointment, we knew that some things were going south. And when I went in, it's interesting. I'm not a particularly religious person, but, you know, I prayed the whole morning and I just knew, like, I just knew something wasn't right. And then I went in and of course, the most devastating thing is to have the doctor tell you that there's no heartbeat, mm -hmm. especially when we were so invested in, you know, we had been weeks and weeks of one, two, three doctor's appointments a week. And the week before things started going south, they said things actually looked really great and that maybe we would have some preemies, you know, they were like, mm, maybe 30 weeks, like you aren't out of the woods as far as problems, but this looks really good. And so just to be completely shattered by that. And it was like the one appointment that my husband, Ethan, couldn't attend. And the idea when they told me that I would then have to be induced, I think I went on in to almost a catatonic state that just seemed so brutal to me that that would be expected and really in hindsight, it was such a wonderful experience that I would feel so, you know, robbed to not have had that experience with them. So it was actually, it happened the way that it needed to happen, even though it seemed very cruel at the time that I was going to have to, you know, not only deliver them, but that I had to go two days to the grocery store to take my dog to the dog park while people were asking me about my babies and they had already passed. So it was pretty intense. I remember when we got the news. So my husband had gotten a text from your husband, Ethan, that the boys were no longer alive. And I remember asking Vince what was going to happen. And my just assumption was that like they would knock you out and do a C-section. And Vince, Ethan must have told Vince that you were going in for delivery. And I remember thinking like I could not imagine having to anticipate enduring that. And then I think of when we were together on the boys, it would have been the second anniversary of their birth when we were in Cape Cod with our two little 10 month old boys. And I remember your mother-in-law, Francia being there and we were talking about the loss of the twins. We were talking about Nathaniel and Gabriel, and she talked about that day in the hospital and about how she walked in to see the boys and you were holding them there. And she said, I've never seen such a proud mother. And I remember you were like bawling. I was bawling. Francie's bawling. But I thought, and exactly like you just said, to get through something like that, but still feel this like unconditional love and pride. And I'm sure it sounds weird or inappropriate to use the word joy, but I think that there was some joy there because these were little babies that you had created. Yeah. And I actually, so sometimes I can get through conversations about the twins without crying and you just totally made me cry. <laughs> I know this and this also, I will say, I knew we could not do this interview wow. face to face because I knew like just thinking about this interview makes me tear up. So it's like, I knew we couldn't do it. Face All right. to face. So we're in it. I actually wondered, since we live three blocks away from each other, why we are going to do this on the phone. And I now really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, my mother-in-law is a wonderful storyteller, just in her own right about her own life. And that the retelling of that 
night, that entrance, her entrance to the, our hospital room really has, it's been a really powerful and poignant memory for me because it's actually allowed me to sort of see myself through her eyes as well. And, you know, no one, you never go through life without some regrets. And, you know, I do have a lot of regrets around their birth and that we only have two photos of each of them and we don't have any photos of them together. We don't have any photos of me holding them. And I just wasn't prepared. And I think that probably much in the same way that, you know, I know, and I've talked to other people who, when they said, oh, when I heard the news, you know, this is where I was, close friends. And when I heard the news, this is how I felt. And it's just this absolute shock. And there's just nothing else. Like, it's just shock and numbness. And I wasn't in a place where I could think about listening to somebody tell me that there were photographers that could come in. And in my mind, I just went to this really, and I think they mentioned it. And I thought, like, why the hell would they be trying to sell photography to me right now? Don't they know that I'm a grieving mother? And I just remember feeling so crass toward the whole process that I just couldn't go there. And so it's nice for me to have, you know, my mother-in-law retell kind of that moment. And it was, I mean, they were, you know, I still look at their photos. My youngest son now, Frankie, looks remarkably similar in his as a newborn. So I get to see a little bit of what I think that they would have been like. How has the loss of the boys changed you as a woman and as a mom? You know, I think it's one of those things that's been a little bit of an evolution. And I remember not long after they were born that my mother told me a story of of my great-grandmother who had also lost twins. And everyone wants to correlate, right? Like, oh, so-and-so had this experience and this is what happened to them. And, And so I remember her saying, oh, you know, Grandma Doris had this happen and she never got over it. And, you know, it's been six and a half years now. And I think that there were a lot of years. And I think that there are still times in my life even now that I think like, oh, God, am I never going to get over this? Is this like the gaping wound that like I will always have like this seeping wound out there Mm -hmm. with this chronic pain? But I actually, you know, try to look at it in a little bit different way. Will I ever get over this? Probably not. Like, I don't think that the death of a child, whether they're stillborn, whether they live for six months, six years, 16 years, 60 years, if your child dies before you do, I'm not sure you get over it. I think that you do things with it. So Mm -hmm. you figure out a way to incorporate it into your life to make your life more meaningful. And for me, I think it's two things. One, not allowing it to be that open wound that causes chronic pain and ruins my relationships. And, you know, I think that so many married couples after they experience this don't make it, you know, and get divorced. And, you know, so being really intentional about like, okay, how to not let that completely gut my relationship? How can I use it as a mother to be more patient with, you know, my five-year-old and three-year-old and, which is sometimes really hard, (laughs) but also at the same time, not to hold that over my own head to where like, wow, you're being a really crappy mom today. And you should feel extra bad about yourself because you should just be grateful for what you have. Because, you know, I try not to put that guilt on myself either. So I always have it in the back of my mind as something that has made me a changed person for sure. But it's also made me someone with a ton more empathy, not only for other women who have had similar experiences, but in all different kinds of grief, right? And I think that, like, you're a great example. And I know, you know, last fall, 
before this last one, yeah. when you guys were going through IVF and it didn't take, and you actually came over to our house that night and we sat in my backyard and drank some wine. And, you know, I just felt like I was so glad that you came over because it was a, a little bit of shared grief moment that you were going through. And so I feel like it's sort of allowed me that empathy to be there for people who are experiencing not just death, but, you know, the loss of, you know, your family that you were trying to build. And so I think that, that there are, I try to look at that side of it, really. Yeah, that makes sense. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. After you lost the boys, I remember a night in your backyard, the first time we went to see you afterwards, And I told you this story not that long ago, because I remember it so clearly. And I remember I was so nervous to go over to your house. And I was talking to Vince about it. I'm like, what do we what do we say to them? And oh, my gosh, and I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so at this time, we still didn't know each other that well. And so I remember we get over to your house. And it's a really sunny evening. And we're all in the backyard with sunglasses on. And I was like, oh, 
thank God we all have sunglasses on. So it just was like this, like a little bit of a barrier that made it a little easier to, it's like driving in the car next to someone or running next to someone where you don't have to make eye contact and you can just let it all out. And then we opened bottles of wine and everything just came out. (laughs) And we talked a lot. I mean, I know that you and I talked a lot that night about everything you guys had been through. That was the first time we had talked about Vince's and my infertility journey. And then we were like kind of bonded by these very different experiences, but things that just kind of sucked and also like our kind of disdain for all women who were pregnant at the time. Kind of was hard, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I will say it did feel good to have someone who I could be like, I hate pregnant women. Like, you know, and of course I don't hate pregnant women. They did, you know, I'm happy for everyone. But at the time, you just don't want to see it. You're just like, I can't like or want to be around anyone who has what I what's been taken away from me or in your, in what you were going through, what, what you couldn't get yet. And I think that, you know, that night actually, it was so cathartic and it continues to be cathartic to talk about, you know, I think that I told you like, just like we do when we have live babies. Like, I think I told you the entire birth experience. And, you know, I think that we, as women, we share those stories with each other and it bonds women to one another. And I think that's a really cool thing about friendship and female friendship and, But yeah, that night was pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, it was. There was a lot of wine. (laughs) A lot of wine. Like, that's what you need sometimes. (laughs) Well, right. And and after the twins, I needed a lot of wine. And then like having another baby became like my next full-time job. Yes. And and I remember that. And we were like in the thick of that together, like tracking our ovulation via text. I think we were more in tune with each other's ovulation than like our husbands were in tune with anything going on with anything. (laughs) Well, considering the fact that we had babies five days apart. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we were both like, I think I'm ovulating. I'm texting each other. I think I'm ovulating today. I mean, like Angela knew that I was ovulating before Vince knew I was ovulating. It was a little ridiculous, but yes. But then I was very nervous when we ended up pregnant at the same time. And I thought, oh my gosh, what if I just kept hoping? I thought I want, you know, as much as we had both had taken a lot to get us to that point of being pregnant at the same time, but I also was really worried that what if something went wrong for either one of us? And I just thought I was like, Stoles deserve their chance. It's their turn. Like, please just let theirs work out okay. And then we ended up with these babies five days apart. And my baby was super hard. And I remember (laughs) in so many situations, I would just be like, wow, this is really hard. And like, I should be grateful because it took us two years to get pregnant and blah, blah, blah. And Angela was like the most patient, gracious mom and like did not complain about anything. And I was complaining about everything (laughs) because Vinny was so hard and nursing really sucked. Well, I have to tell you, Adrian was the child that I needed at that time. Like he, you know, in moving forward in life, like I think that he really was like the baby that needed to enter my life at that time because he slept a ton. He ate great. I mean, and he continues to be the five-year-old that blows my mind with his like (laughs) kindness and compassion and just such a thoughtful little sweet person. But you know, I did not have the same experience with Frankie when he was born (laughs) a couple of years later. And I actually was thinking the other night, we have another friend who I think you were probably there. We went to their new house and we were in their backyard and they have a son, as you know, our Sam, our mm-hmm. about Vinny and Adrian's age. And I was telling Caitlin how horrible it was with the second child. And I had horrible postpartum depression. Frankie was born three weeks before the fourth anniversary of the twins. And so 
I just recall being in her backyard just talking about how horrible it was and how I should have just stopped with Adrian because I had it all perfect and now this was so horrible. And so I was like, Joe, whatever you do, do not have a second kid. And she was like, I was going to tell you that I was pregnant. <laughs> yeah, you never get it right. <laughs> it's true. You don't. So one of the things we're going to switch gears here a little bit, but one of the things that is so mind blowing to me is how your professional trajectory since becoming a mom. And I know some of it comes from a husband who is a little relentless in how he chooses to approach entrepreneurhood or entrepreneurialism, but you have done huge professional things since becoming a mom. And I want to talk a little bit about motherhood and your professional track. And we will come back to kind of how the boys and having gone through such a tragedy and such a loss has also played into that. But tell us a little bit about some of the professional milestones you have hit since becoming a mom and what have you built that you are most proud of? So for listeners who don't live in Seattle, who aren't familiar with Ethan Stoll, if you live in Seattle, you probably know who he is. He's one of a couple of celebrity chefs around here. And we met in 2005 when he had one restaurant and we got married in 2007 and opened two restaurants together and then officially became business partners shortly thereafter. And, you know, I think that prior to that, I had gone to, you know, University of Washington. I was studying to go to law school. I took a break to sell wine. And so I had my, you know, I had my own education and experience and career trajectory. And when we started a partnership, it was because it was really clear that I brought a different set of skills to the table. But at the same time, it's really hard to, A, be the wife of a celebrity chef. And I'm going to call him a celebrity chef, even though, I don't know, we sometimes question in our house, like, that's sort of a, it's a weird term sometimes. But <laughs> for this conversation. In the Seattle these, scene, he's definitely known sure. for, as a yeah. celebrity chef. So it's a little bit weird to be the wife of such a big personality and somebody who is in the media a lot. And it's even harder sometimes to be their business partner. And it was never really a need for me to have that same level of public acknowledgement. But I also found that after having kids, I needed something more than just to be, I mean, it's wonderful. It was wonderful to be Adrian's mom and then Frankie's mom. And it's wonderful to be Ethan's wife. But I, I needed something to feel like I kind of came into my own. And so I think it really happened when there was a little bit of political movement happening here in Seattle that really affected our industry. And I was in, I went to school for political science. And so it was really natural for me to step into that role. And in stepping into that role, it sort of started to highlight what I actually do within the restaurants. And, and really I run the day-to-day -day operations of 16 restaurants, you know, our HR department, finance department, executive team, store level managers, everyone sort of reports up to me. And Ethan handles, you know, a lot of our contract work and menu development and creative side. But really, I was like, okay, well, I'm actually the CEO of this company. And by the way, we're now not this little mom and pop company, we're a $25 million a year company. So I'm going to own that. I know what I'm good at. And I'm going to keep getting better at the things that I'm not, but I'm really going to own my career right now. And I just so happened to do my career with my husband. You know, he's my business partner. And so, you know, after Adrian was born, we opened, we have 16 restaurants now. We opened nine restaurants since 2012. And, you know, right now I'm kind of in the middle of building this big strategic plan for the next 10 years of growth. 
And it's been really exciting for me to sort of tap into my own entrepreneurialism and not just have it be on the, you know, quote unquote, back of my husband. And I most recently had this experience online where a woman was talking about only patronizing female owned businesses and they wouldn't come to our restaurants because I wasn't technically an owner that I was. And she put this in there that I was a token owner. (gasps) Oh my gosh. And that my husband actually did all of the work. And so as polite as I could be on Facebook, I was like, I'm just going to sort of challenge this notion and, you know, and started kind of listing out like my role in the company. And so, you know, I'm super proud, like we've built this huge company and a lot of it equally it has to do with Ethan and his creative mind and his drive and his passion. But there's a good 50% or maybe even a little bit more that should be attributed to me. And so I'm going to own that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I love that. And I appreciate the ways that you started owning that and talking and really embracing the entrepreneurial side, really embracing, I think, I mean, you embrace being a CEO and being a business leader in the Seattle area. I also think that you are so tied into the values of, into your personal and political values and how you can use your platform as a female CEO in Seattle to create awareness and create change. Well, I see you doing that in many ways, actually, because this is kind of a big deal. Why don't you talk about what you're doing this year? In addition to running a $25 million company, tell what you're doing with United Way. Yeah. So, well, so it is, you know, being involved in the community is a really big deal to me. And I think that part of that hatched out of the recession and, you know, getting through those few years were just so brutally hard as a business owner. And, you know, when the time came where there was, you know, a little bit more money coming in that we could talk about putting into a marketing budget, we sort of, you know, scratched our heads and said, how do we even know what we would put into a magazine advertisement is going to come back to us? What we do know comes back to us is our community because restaurants are a fabric of the community and that's who, you know, drives our business and our lives. And so we decided that instead of marketing, we would start, we would build a philanthropic budget. And, you know, it's been a really remarkable thing for us because at the very least, we know that maybe people will appreciate, you know, the work that we put into the community and and support us, like we're supporting them. And at the very worst, they don't ever come to our restaurants, but we're still doing something good for the community, right? So we got pretty involved with United Way, which is a major funder of homelessness and childhood education, particularly for kids experiencing poverty. And this year, I am a campaign chair along with Ethan, and we're working to raise $41 million for the organization. And it's been really, you know, I look at when I have a hard day now, and I talk to, you know, these kids who are homeless and taking three buses to drop their six-year-old sister off to school and then getting themselves to school or whatever their story may be. And they're just fighting every day for luck, to be lucky enough for somebody to take a chance on them. And so for me, like to build part of our platform, I think it's so important for businesses to have a social platform. And I think that for a long time, it was don't mix politics with your business platform and be careful how you mix your, you know, philanthropic ties to your business platform. But when you're an entrepreneur and you work for yourself and you build your own company, it's all the same. Your life and your business are the same thing. And so for me and for Ethan, it just made sense for us to really kind of merge the two. And I think, you know, we saw that in 
the local, you know, we do a lot in local politics. We worked really hard on the Hillary campaign and I'm, you know, really proud of all of the political work that we've done and we'll continue to do that. And it's been an opportunity to, to use our platform. You know, we have 16 different locations that people can hear messaging from us and it hasn't always gone over positively. I mean, we definitely have had people who have not always agreed with our candidate of choice or even our charity of choice. And they let us know. And we, <laughs> we appreciate it. You just take that feedback with a little smile on your face. Sure. <laughs> I know that around last year with prior to the presidential election and when all the campaigning was going on and everything, I had so many people in the entrepreneurial space who, and many mentors who were saying like, just don't touch it. Don't go there. Like you don't want to alienate yourself with your audience and those kinds of things. And that was a very popular opinion among online entrepreneurs and the people that I was connected with in terms of things I was doing with the podcast and such. And so at first I was like, okay, I'll try not to say anything. And then it was like, I couldn't. And I totally agree with you. But when you are an entrepreneur, there is such an overlap with personal and professional and the boundaries are very fuzzy. And it became clear to me at a certain point that like my values and who I am are such a big part of how I do business that I can't not share them. And there's like a level of responsibility that comes with having a platform. And I don't need to be preachy all the time. But I'm gonna like, I've talked many times about my nasty women manifesto, but like, I'm going to fight for the underdog and I'm going to talk about marginalized populations. And I'm going to talk about like how we can create better change and like not just build a white a nation of white supremacists. Like, And if that's offensive to people, cool, they can go find other information elsewhere, but I can't not participate in that conversation. And I saw that you and Ethan did that as well, where you were like, we can't, and there was definitely people in the Seattle restaurant industry that were not taking sides on anything. And they were definitely staying quiet and more low profile around things. And I just appreciated that. I think that when you have an audience and an opportunity to share that it's important to do so. And I really appreciated that you guys did that and you continue to do that. Yeah. I mean, well, I think in order of importance of, you know, what our business serves, our business, you know, ideally serves, you know, my family, my children so that I can provide a life for them. But I mean, first and foremost, you know, from a purely business perspective, it's, I mean, employees come first and, you know, I'm also speaking on a platform that is in support of, you know, I think a lot of the values that our employees share. And, you know, we are not a country that could work if we didn't have, you know, immigrants working here. Right. We are not a company that will allow people, even in private dining rooms, to have racially charged, homophobic right. charged conversations. And, you know, we love our customers and we love our guests that come into our restaurants, but we don't welcome people in who have frankly, horrible to other people. So, and that's just been something that we've owned and, and, you know, we're lucky to live in a really open-minded city, you know, where, where people share (laughs) a lot lot easier. Yeah. So what is it like to be so acutely aware of how precious motherhood is having gone through such a tremendous loss, but also be really invested in being an outstanding CEO and an amazing businesswoman and an advocate and an activist for so many different causes? Well, I mean, it's hard, right? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just a struggle. I mean, I don't know if this has anything, you know, all of those things are true. I am a mother who experienced tragedy and is a CEO and am politically active. Right. But I don't really think that my experience is all that different than any other working mom who has other important yeah. things in their lives, right? Like, it is a real struggle when you're like, okay, I want to be home with my kids. But at the same time, my career is really important to me. And it's important yeah. for me to go to work. And also, you know, 
being part of change or, you know, doing what we can to give back is also really important to me. And there's never going, like, I've just decided there will never be a perfect balance. I will always feel guilty because I am not home with the kids enough. I will always feel guilty because I could be working more. I will always feel guilty because there is more to do to change, you know, our community and, you know, create political change. So there's never perfection. And I'm just trying to own that and just be okay with being a little inadequate. Right. Right. Do you find that you're able to, when you're in one thing that you can be there a hundred percent. So when you're parenting, you can just be parenting and you can shut off business. And when you're business, you can just be business. It's easier for me when I'm business to just be business. It's harder. And this is probably an unpopular position, but it's harder for me to turn off business when I'm at home. And so I'm trying to, you know, that's my one thing I'm trying to really be a lot better about is like, because my, you know, we're tethered to our phones at any one time I could get, you know, 10 texts in an hour, or I have, you know, emails coming in, or it's just hard to turn it off and not want to be plugged in all the time to what's happening in the restaurants or, you know, things that I have going on. So, you know, I'm trying to sort of limit that at least from the hours of, you know, five to eight when I'm with the kids, but it's a real struggle. And, you know, I want them to see like, oh, my mom works hard. But at the same time, when I was growing up, I remember thinking, oh, like I had this correlation of like my dad works when he wears a brown shirt (laughs) and my dad had a closet full of brown shirts and wore a brown shirt every day. And my dad worked every day. So I'm trying not to have the kids be like, my mom was always on her phone. I'm like, right. That's what they're going to remember when they're 40 years old. Right. Yeah. Right. So Angela and I had the extreme pleasure and honor of going to the Women's March in Washington, D.C. last year, which was really, really cool. And I know that you are really tied to values around feminism. And so can you talk a little bit about raising boys who are feminists and how you're doing that? It's hard, right? I mean, it is gender roles are like, they are set at an early age. And they, um, all they want to talk about is poops wow. and farts, which is exactly what our husbands want to talk about when they're I together. Know. So like, how I know. You- well, and now like five-year-old, I don't know what Vinny's into, but like it, we also, our dog recently died. And so mm-hmm. it's like poop and death at our house. And I'm like, okay, like, Hey, Oh. And then of course they get some book from some relative that has like a little boy soldier, like cutting the heads off of monsters. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, so it's hard. It's definitely hard to impart those. I do have a lot of feminist values and it's, it's sort of a running joke in my house that I am, you know, I am a feminist and I think I own that. And I think that there's a lot of work to do. And I think I'm proud that I am in a world of a lot of men who are feminists. So as far as the boys go, I think that the first and foremost, one of the things that makes me okay with going to work as much as I do and, and being as driven as I am in work is I think that that, like I think about when my kids grow up, it is important to me that they see my mom ran a company. My Mm -hmm. mom did something that most men do. My mom, you know, worked her ass off. Sorry. I don't know if there's cursing on this, but (laughs) okay. You know, like I want them to know, to lead, I want to set that example. And first and foremost, I think that that's what I can do. And I think that as feminists, that's what we all have to do is set the example. But, you know, and then I try not to, you know, we don't have a lot of gender roles in our house that are super traditional. Like I suck at laundry. I don't do laundry. You guys have the best gender roles, actually. Like Ethan does all the cooking and the laundry. Totally. That's like every woman's dream. (laughs) I want your gender roles at my house. I know, I know. I should remind him of that because he, <laughs> this is, because Ethan, this is where you're a feminist and he's even a feminist. He like, you are owning like the whole nagging me about my laundry thing, right? Like you can own that stereotype too. 
No, yeah, I'm terrible at laundry. He's a better cook, you know, so we have that going on, you know, but I think it's even little things. And I'm sure you get this too, like when the Lego phenomenon hit our house, which is in full force at your house too, (laughs) I know. hardcore at both of our houses. I know. I sort of can't let Adrian know the things you've got going on there because we don't have a Lego grocery store at our house. So... (laughs) I mean, the grocery store was like nine ninety nine on Amazon. So I don't even I don't even want to know that. <laughs> but it's I don't a lot of real tiny pieces, tiny tiny apples and tiny bananas and tiny oh, glasses God. of wine. That came My worst nightmare. That's funny. So, but I think that when I don't know how it was with you guys, but when we first got into this Lego mania, there was a lot of conversation with Adrian. Like, Mom, you can't build Legos. You're just not as good at it as Dad. <laughs> Oh and I was like, God, that's so interesting, which was totally true. And I think my Lego game has been up. But <laughs> as girls, we didn't grow up playing Legos. Like, right. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you're right. But I'm still going to do it. And so, but it's been funny how those conversations have been had. So I'm now like a mom who does all sorts of like superhero Legos and <laughs> whatever. And, you know, I also think that we're lucky in our family. So Ethan's parents ran Pacific Northwest Ballet here in Seattle And talk about like, that is really kind of the epitome of a stereotype of what you do. You know, you have a little girl and you put her in a tutu and you send her to ballet. Well, you know, it's pretty great in our house that I have a little boy who I put in, you know, in dance tights and he goes to ballet and not because I want that for him because he really wanted that. And, you know, no part of us, and there's no question, like it doesn't even occur to him that it's more of a little girl thing to do than a little boy thing to do. He just doesn't even think about it. So I think that they're just such little things that you can do like that. Yeah. And talk about like girls can do everything that boys can do. And we spend a lot of time talking about that. I should share with our listeners that we had Vinny and Adrian in ballet class together (laughs) last year, I guess, a year ago. And Adrian was like the star pupil. and (laughs) Vinny was a complete disaster. (laughs) It was rather hilarious. But Vinny was basically so hysterical the entire time that I ended up pulling him out. And we ended up going moving him over to gymnastics. But what's hilarious in gymnastics is that he insists on wearing leotard in gymnastics. And he's like the only boy in the not only in his class, but in the entire facility where there's probably like, I don't know, over 100 kids every Wednesday at 4.30, running around doing gymnastics. And Vinny's running around in his leotard with like glitter all over it and happy as a clam. So I think Vinny could have totally rocked ballet. I'm not sure that the structure was. Uh, Yeah, I think it was the structure. It was that the door had to be closed and you couldn't see your mom on the other side of the door. Right. And so like benefit and curse of like being a, a mom that goes to work a lot is like my kids some days I'm like, okay, yeah, thanks for not even looking when I left. <laughs> Dropped you off. Like, I can drop them off. Like, like they're like, oh, mom, you don't even need to walk me into school. I'm good. I'm like, you're f- five and three. Like, I'm going to walk you into school. Like, but yeah, the benefit is also that they can go to ballet class and have the door closed. <laughs> and not be invited to return when they're old enough to handle it. Like, Vinny. <laughs> oh, poor Vinny. It's pretty funny. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. 
So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing. And they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. So what are you most proud of modeling Adrian and Frank? I think that it's kind of always a work in progress. And most of all, I think that we have done a really good job of modeling that it's super important to be a good friend, to be a good neighbor, to give back to your community, to take care of people who don't have as, you know, who don't have as much as we do and to stand up to bullies, frankly, because, well, that's what we call Donald Trump in our house. But I mean, I think that just instilling those values in them about, you know, taking care of other people and the importance of that is probably the best thing that we can model. I also think that, you know, as parents, one thing that we're really working on modeling, and I don't know, 
I don't know how other parents do it. Maybe I don't know how you do. You guys always seem like you are perfect at like conflict resolution in front of <laughs> everyone. I don't but, know about that. <laughs> well, but I think that that's something that going into this year that Ethan and I are really working on, like how can we model conflict to our kids? and that resolution around it uh, other than being like the parents who like I don't want to be the parents who like just argue in front of your kids and your kids are like oh my parents always argued in front of me but you know somehow we need to like start modeling a better you know more thought like we're trying to model really thoughtful conflict in front of them and so that's a work in progress but I think the best thing that we can do is show you know then that I've done is show you work hard you take care of other people and you you know appreciate what you have mm, I like that for the conflict resolution piece, I believe it was in Brain Rules for Baby, where it talked about the importance of kids seeing conflict resolved. And so a lot of times parents think like if they start to get in conflict, they should leave the room or like, you know, talk about it after the kids go to bed or whatever, or they're just too angry to deal with in the moment. So they blow each other off. But there's like research around your kids seeing conflict resolution between their parents and them understanding that it's okay to have conflict because you're going to have conflict. That's normal. And then like, this is how it can like all work out and everyone can win at the end of the day, which I think is so positive. Yeah. Well, and when your business partner is your husband, I think sometimes (laughs) we'll just be having normal conversations and it's not an argument to us, but we don't realize that it seems like an argument it sounds to good. the kids. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, and they, you know, Adrian will be like, stop fighting. We're like, we're just having a conversation over here. Like, you know, and so, but trying to be really mindful of that kind of modeling too, and create, not creating kids who are either think that they're constantly around conflict or that they never see it. So it's yeah, work in progress. Vinny gets really upset if I start talking too fast and he'll say, you're scaring me. You're scaring me. And this is not when I'm angry. It's when I'm telling, talking about something I'm excited about, which is a lot of things. I talk really fast. And so we've, I've had to learn to like slow myself down and just explain like sometimes mommy just gets excited. I'm not <laughs> mad, but it's pretty funny. It's interesting. Yeah. Their perspective of like tones of voice and those kinds of things. Totally. Totally. How do you prioritize time for yourself when you want to do yoga or work out? We haven't even talked about that you are like an amazing athlete as well, but you want to do yoga, do whatever for your workout. You want to be a fully present mom. You want to be a badass CEO and you want to save the world from the likes of our current president. Like, <laughs> How do you find a minute for yourself? I have a lot of friends who like, I have a little bit of a chaotic life and I love my chaotic life though. Like, And when I start listing out all the things that I have on my plate, it's a lot. Like it's a little (laughs) overwhelming sometimes, but you know, I also have this mentality of like, there's no reason that we can't do all of this. And that's sort of always been, and I think my parents would say this, like, I've probably always had that mentality my entire life. Like I can do every single thing that I want to do and fit it all into my day if I need to. So for me, like sometimes it means, working out at 10 o'clock at night. Like, and I do that. And I know that I've, I've shared oh my that gosh. with you before. We've been texting and she'll be like, thing. I'm going to go work out. And I'm like, what? Like I've been in bed texting for 30 minutes. Like you're going to go work out now. <laughs> but if that's the only time of my day, yeah. it's an important thing that totally. I like, I have to, it's like, there are certain things I have to have in my life and I have to have exercise in my life to feel normal. And so if it means that I spend half an hour instead of texting, like getting on the bike or doing, you know, workout at home, then I'll do that. And most recently, I'm trying to figure out the best way to fit it in. So I'll, I'll get up sometimes at, you know, 530 to go to yoga, but now it's cold and gross outside. So I'll get up at 530 (laughs) answer emails for an hour or so. So then I can go to yoga in the middle of the afternoon of my work day and not, you know, miss out on some work. So, you know, fitting in exercise, I think is a really easy thing for me. 
and then everything else truly is like, I just truly have this mantra that like, can I do that? Can I physically, mentally, emotionally do that? If the answer is yes, then, then it just figures itself out. Right. And I think, so for listeners who don't know who Russell Wilson is, which probably many people do, he's a quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks, but he has this really great, so he has the why not you foundation. And really, like in all of the things that I want to do in my life, which does involve being a great mom, being really politically active, being philanthropically active, you know, running a great business, like why not me? Why can't I do all of that? And if I have the drive and the energy to do it, then I'm sort of like I will myself to do it and I figure it out. Yeah. You're like inexhaustible. <laughs> I need way more recovery time in my life than you do. I think sometimes it's almost better when you don't have that. When you know you have to get up, you're just like, I just have to do it. Just keep yeah. going. Just keep going. And gone are the days when I'm like eight hours of sleep at night. Like, right. that sounds really nice, but oh I can deal with six. I remember when you were pregnant with the twins. I remember Ethan joking around about, and this would have been like the one time we went over to your house, I think, and you were like probably four months pregnant with them. But um, I remember Ethan saying, Angela's going to really have to have a rude awakening when she has to get up at a reasonable hour in the morning after these babies are born. Because he was like, she's one who kind of likes to sleep in a little bit. And I remember thinking, because I, that time had been training, like had 6am clients most days of the week. So it was like, not going to be a big adjustment for me. And I remember thinking, I know that would be hard. (laughs) Totally. Well, now I'm like, oh, okay. Like the other night I was like, "Mm, five hours and 45 minutes. That's a real bummer for tomorrow. But oh, well, I'll get, I'll try to go to bed, you know, early the next night. So you just, you deal. After you have kids, you're like, if you can, there's a lot of things that you can do on four hours of sleep. So I think about like, if I get six hours, sweet. (laughs) It's a gift. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. (laughs) Totally. In what ways are you a shameless mom? You know, I think maybe in just that way, like, I think that I'm a mom who, like, if there are things that I want in my life, and I want to leave a legacy in Seattle that we, you know, that I was a person who gave back to the community, I want to, you know, leave the legacy with my kids that you go out and knock on doors, and you get people elected, and you get women elected specifically. And, you know, like, I own that. And I want that for my future and for my kids future. And so I'm okay saying like, I'm going to shove in work into all of this. And I'm going to run this company. And I'm not going to make it the most important thing in my life. But I'm going to be okay with it being a super important thing, as well as parenting being a super important thing. So, you know, I don't apologize for any of those things. And I don't apologize for being a working mom. And I love being a working mom. And I'm a better mom because I do that. Like women who can stay home. I am in like absolute awe because like, I love my kids, but I don't think I love kids that much. Like (laughs) I love my kids that much, but I'm not a person who can be around kids all the time. And that's a weird thing. I may be coming from somebody who had this struggle, you know, at the beginning of of motherhood for me, but I just know it about myself. And so. I think we are in, have like major mutual adoration for a mutual friend of ours, Taylor, who stays home with three little kids. (laughs) I'm like, how? How does I know. she do and I that? Love, that seems so and I, hard. Right. And I love that she loves doing that. Yes, and, and she's I, so good at it. I know. I would be so bad. I would just be I really be cranky. Really like my child would not be happy. And nor would I. I think I would drink every day at like three. I, I would too. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can have a glass of wine now. Yeah. No, I would be a mess. I would be a mess. I'm in awe of moms who can really embrace staying home and, re- and really truly love it because I thought that well, I and wanted right, it. And that's not, that's not a patronizing thing that you're no, saying. Like, it's no, no, really no. true. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. No, I totally. I because I thought that that's what I wanted and I thought that was the dream and then I lived it for a few months when Vinny was a baby and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've completely lost myself in this and this is not what I thought it was going to be." And so yeah, it's really interesting how it resonates with some people and not with others and you don't know until you're in it, I don't think. I don't think you can plan for how that's going to feel to you. <laughs> yeah, and well, I guess I don't know, maybe the funny th- like I took 7 days off after Adrian was born Hush. and like a month off with Frankie because he was a disaster, but yeah, I I mean <laughs> He was a mess. But yeah, I couldn't do it. So anyway, that's I'm probably that's my shapeless mom moment. <laughs> so we have our lightning round in just a minute here, but first mm-hmm. tell anyone who wants to reach out to you or connect with you, where can people find you or your restaurants? Because I'll yeah. just let me give a little plug here for a minute. Ethan Stoll Restaurants, I love all of them. They're all excellent. But my favorite, and I talk about this in different capacities and different conversations that I'm having, but I always say my favorite is Staple and Fancy because the tasting menu is my literally like my favorite meal to have in Seattle because it's so fun because you literally get to try like, I don't know, like maybe 17 different items in one meal and it's delicious, all of it. So if you want to try an ESR restaurant and you don't know which one, go to Staple and Fancy and get the tasting menu. And now you can tell I'm them actually, I'm going it. tonight. I'm actually going Ooh, there tonight. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, ethanstollrestaurants.com is where you can find us. And we have 16, 17 restaurants here, soon to be 17 restaurants here in Seattle. And then I'm on Instagram and A-N-G Stowell on Instagram and then just my normal Facebook channel. And then we're ESR Seattle on Twitter. Perfect. All right. Oh, and I'm on LinkedIn. I had this conversation with you earlier. LinkedIn (laughs) is a thing and you can find me on LinkedIn, even though I didn't realize until last year that LinkedIn was still a thing. She's like, oh, people still do that LinkedIn thing. I was like, yeah, I know. I don't get it either. But apparently they do. In some circles, LinkedIn is a very big deal. But if you're not in that circle, it's like a foreign language. So. Right. (laughs) Okay. So shameless mommy minute. What is your favorite way to treat yourself? Ooh. So, okay. I have my lashes done every two weeks because I go and have great lashes and a nap. <laughs> so, and I will own my vanity. Like Angela's I'm cool with it. lashes inspired my lash. She had lashes. You got them shortly after Adrian was born, I think. And I was like staring at every time we were together, I was like, Oh my God, your lashes are so gorgeous. I want them. So then I got them and I was like, I'm just going to get them for a little while. And now I think I've had them for three years. Yeah, so, well, it just makes you feel good about yourself. It's like the addiction that just won't, can't, won't quit. <laughs> but I, I don't tend to fall asleep, but I wish I did. Okay, current book that you're reading or the last one you read? So I am reading two. I'm reading Hillbilly Elegy, finally, because I'm still trying to make sense of what's happened in our country. And I, What was the first one? Hillbilly Elegy. I haven't it's, even heard of it. Oh, great. It's a great book. It's this guy. Um, he grew up in Appalachia, and he went to Harvard, and really kind of explains the plight of the lower working class who, and it explains a lot about maybe how Trump could inspire those voters. So I'm reading that, but I'm also reading five love languages of children. Oh, I have that book and I have not opened it. Tell me about it. Oh my God. So I was having a hard time connecting with our five-year-old a little bit. We just weren't quite on the same page. And so I had read the five love language books just from a relationship standpoint, but really it's so true with kids. And Adrian, our five-year-old, is really, really a quality time kid. And so I had a really busy December where I would rush out to work. I'd come home at 5. I'd be cooking dinner or 5.30. I'd be cooking dinner for a half an hour. Dinner would mostly involve him eating all of his food and me focusing 100% of my attention on his little brother who wasn't eating any of his food. (laughs) And then it would be right into like bath time, bedtime, which again, 
all of the attention goes on to the problem child of you know, the three-year-old. <laughs> and so I would go days and days and days with no quality time with Adrian. And so we just got kind of distant and I was seeing him have this really great quality time with Ethan and it was just in little five minute spurts. And so that was something I just really honed in on. So like every night, like we get 10 minutes of whatever Adrian wants to do, which is always Legos. And it's just like our thing. Oh, I love that. That's but the so book great. is great. It talks about all different love languages that kids speak, but that's definitely his. Okay. I think I bought it when Vinny was like one. So I need it's to great. get around to reading it. Yeah. What is one morning ritual you can't live without? Coffee. Perfect. Who is your biggest inspiration? I have the kids. I have to say those kiddos, like they make every day, like my go-to, <laughs> you know, they, I do everything I do really for those two little people. They're pretty cute. If you could give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, forgiveness. Can I, it's two and self-empathy, which kind of goes into like forgiving yourself, forgiving others, and just being like, you know, just self-love, self-compassion. Like we're so hard on ourselves. Yes. Yes. It's very true. Excellent. Thank you. Angela, thank you so much for coming. And I feel like we just got to hang out for an extra hour. <laughs> I know. It's kind of nice. So let's have, we, should so have, nice. we should have actually coordinated a glass of wine. All I know. Us. We should have next oh. time. Right. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you talking about the boys, about Nathaniel and Gabriel, especially. I thank knew you. when I launched the podcast and was thinking of Shameless Moms, you were definitely at the top of my list of people I wanted to talk to and have on to share just unique stories and challenging stories and stories of overcoming pain and tragedy. So I just really appreciate you sharing everything that you have about your experience. Absolutely. And one last piece of advice, though, that I think is important and, and for listeners to consider is if you have someone in your life who has experienced intense grief, whether it's the loss of a parent, a child, a sibling, a spouse, reach out to them, talk to them, say like, talk about their lost one, like say their like saying Nathaniel and Gabriel's name, like that's been mm. a huge, huge thing for me yeah. um, to remember, you know, remember that the person lost is not gone to the people that were left behind. And right. so that would I, a lot of people always ask, like, ever know what to say, just say something. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I appreciate well, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll talk again. All right. soon. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for spending time with Angela and me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I hope that you learned something new. I hope you felt inspired by Angela's story. I hope you want to go out and build yourself a $25 million company like starting today. No pressure. So if this episode was inspirational to you, if you learned something new, please do share it. You can share the episode by taking a screenshot from your phone and posting it on social media. Make sure to tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. If you tag me, I will reply right away and give you a little virtual high five and a little cheer for you. Also, please do come back because we have new episodes every Monday and Wednesday. So if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we'll be back on Monday with another episode. And you can subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will take you into Apple Podcasts where you can click the little subscribe button. That will also allow you to leave a review. So if you loved this episode and you want to share that with the world, please do leave a review. Our reviews are our ratings and that's what helps the show get ranked so that it can be found by other shameless moms. Our reviews are how most people find the show. And our show changes lives. I get emails every single day at this point from shameless moms whose lives have been changed by hearing the stories on this show, by hearing me talk about different things on this show, by hearing me get into some meaty, nitty gritty kinds of issues where lives really can truly be transformed. So please do share the show, subscribe to the show, leave a review. It means the world to me because it helps me impact more mama's lives, more women's lives. And 
I know that hearing these kinds of stories inspires you all to take action. So there's no doubt in my mind that one of you will go out and build that $25 million company. And please do come and tell me all about it when you're done so that we can get you on the show. So I appreciate you being here today, spending time with Angela, spending time with me in the Shameless Mom Academy. I can't wait to be back in a couple days to do it again. And in the meantime, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.